The opinions of this podcast are my own and not necessarily the opinions of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Ambassador Real Estate, any realtor associations, persons, or entities. If your property is currently listed with a real estate broker, please note that it is not our intention to solicit the offerings of other real estate brokers. Welcome to this episode of Hunting Home. Blake Hunter with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Ambassador Real Estate and Council Bluffs, Iowa in studio today. Also Peggy Sweet with us. And Blake, how's uh, everything been going? We're reaching the winter time and typically it's a slowdown time, but what's happening right now? Are you seeing that? Yeah, we're definitely seeing that. Our markets slowed down significantly, not only because of the season, the cold weather, the holidays, but because interest rates have come up. Um, they've actually come back down recently, but it's. I think there's just a lot of uncertainty out there, and so people are kind of just staying put, uh, not making any big, you know, financial decisions right now. Is there a reason for that that, that somebody should wait, or is it just more? they just don't feel as comfortable, but there's really no reason to wait on moving on something like that. I don't think that there is a reason to wait. You know, it's, it's your own situation, whatever you're going through, whatever your needs are. But sometimes the winter is a great time to sell or buy because there's less competition out there. Um, you know, if you're thinking about listing your house, there's probably fewer houses for sale. So you, you might be the only house in that, in that price point. And if you're looking to buy, you know, there's less buyers out there in the pool, which means you might be able to get in, have a little more negotiation power when you write an offer. And uh, so sometimes the winter works out, but then you have to remember that you're going to be moving possibly in the snow. Well, we wanted to talk to you today about one of the first steps involved when you're buying a house, and that is writing an offer and everything that goes into that. I've been through it recently. Peggy, you've been through it. How long ago was it that you bought your your property? Oh, I Two of them. Let's see. One was four years, and one was my very first house was about tw- almost twenty years. Was there much difference between twenty years ago and the yes. one four years ago? Yes. <laughs> yes. How, how about from four years ago to now, Blake? Is there is there a big difference? You know, I would say to now, uh, the thing is, is especially with the market that we've had, is people got used to writing multiple offers, and then in those situations, they had to be more competitive. So, um, like I've mentioned before. Uh, escalation clauses became a big thing where people were writing over asking price uh, and then not trying to get, eliminate as many contingencies as possible to make your offer as clean as possible to the seller of that property. See, I didn't have any of that when I was doing it. It took almost almost 90 days to actually purchase the house. There was a lot of paperwork and going back and forth and stuff. And we, you waited for the buyer to get an, get back with you and then they waited for me to get back with them. And it wasn't how it is right now. Yeah. Competitive. At all. Yep. Let's talk about that escalation clause part of it, though, because that, when I sold a house earlier this year, that was new for me. I'd never heard of that before. And then the offer started coming in with that attached to it. So what is it? So an escalation clause is basically like a slow motion auction. And I use that analogy because I'm familiar with the auction world. And if you've ever been to an auction, you know, it's kind of a basically a back and forth between potential buyers. And so what a lot of people have been doing, um, a lot of real estate agents, when you're writing an offer, you write in there basically an escalation clause or some people call it a multiple offer addendum. And you are writing an offer, you write your base price, what you're offering, and then you say, I am willing to beat any competing offer by X amount up to X amount. So for example, 
if the purchase price on this property that you're writing an offer on, you say, I'm going to offer 300000 and I'm willing to beat any competing offer by $1,000 up to $325,000. So in that scenario, the most that you're going to pay for that property is $325,000. That's, that's what you have agreed to at that time. And for example, you said you're going to pay $1,000 more than the next best. So say someone writes an offer, a competing offer for 315000 that would make your offer 316000 So you're $1,000 higher than any competing offer. Now, there's a lot of other things that go into that. There's contingencies that go into that, um, but we're just talking about price, just talking about purchase price right now. And the nice thing about them is that you can say 325 is the most that I'm willing to pay, and you can put that ceiling there, but at the same time, if no one else offers that, you're not just giving away that extra money. If maybe there is no other offer, and you, you maybe got it bought for 300000 you didn't even have to go into that escalation clause, which in our multiple offer addendum, listing agent has to provide proof of that competing offer. So they can't just say, oh, well, looky there. Now you're up to 325. You have to have proof of that competing offer to show why your offer was driven up in price. It just keeps you competitive then with everybody else, kind of like. It, it really does keep you competitive. And like I said, it also kind of has a safety net there where you're not just going in and offering your top dollar. You right. know, you're protected a little bit. Now, what's crazy is we got into this market where this was so common that for a listing agent, it could be pretty difficult. And that's why it's really important even if it's a seller's market, to think about hiring a real estate agent if you're going to try to sell your house on your on your own. Because people are like, well, I can, it's a great market. I can sell my house by myself. I don't have to, you know, plenty of people are going to show up at the door. Well, that's great. And they might do that. Well, what do you, do you know what to do if you get five or six offers? And then they all have escalation clauses or two, two of them have an escalation clause and the other three don't. Do you know how to weigh the pros and cons? Do you know how to make those escalation clauses work together where they bounce back and forth and raise that price? Um, so this this last couple of years has been so crazy. We even got to a point where so many people were doing those escalation clauses that people started going away from them and just writing their best offer because it was almost a waste of time. Because say you're only going $1,000 better than the next person. Well, sometimes $1,000 really doesn't matter. You know, maybe one person had a home inspection, one person didn't. Well, if I'm advising my clients, I'm going to tell them, take $1,000 less without a home inspection. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So there's a lot of pros and cons. And you have to know, you have to be experienced enough to know what those are when you're looking at offers. And then they're great situations to be in, but you have to take your time and sit down. And I mean, I've had situations where I've had 10 offers on one property and you have to lay them all out. And there's, you know, a number of them have escalation clauses. They all go to a certain point. They all have different increments. So some might say $1,000 better than the next best. Some might be $5,000 than the next best. And so you got to sit there and do the math and figure out, you know, what is, what is truly this offer with this escalation clause and <clears throat> what are the contingencies because the most money is not always the best offer. Right. You know, based on those contingencies. And it really depends on what the seller wants in that situation. You know, maybe they, they just want a really streamlined process. They don't want to have to deal with a home inspection. They don't want to have to deal with a home sale contingency. 
They just want to sell it and move on. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe less money is actually means more to them right. than, than more money. And it's also possible, like with the no inspection part, that can speed the process up, can it? Significantly. And, um, you know, the risks that you run, um, you know, it's great for people to have home inspections. I, I, I feel so much better when a buyer has that ability to have that done and that option. But for a seller, having that home inspection basically just opens up another can of worms that maybe it's fine. Maybe there's nothing. But it does give that buyer the option to walk away from the deal if they find something that they don't like. It's a contingency mm-hmm. um, if it's written that way in the offer. And the other thing is, is a buyer could have a home inspection. Something could be found in that home inspection. Maybe it's a really heavily damaged roof. Um, and now that that seller's aware, now it needs to be disclosed. If that person backs out, it goes back. Now we're, we wasted a week of time, maybe two weeks of time. That buyer backs out. Now we're back on the market. We burn two weeks, and now we know we have a bad roof. And so it can really be a setback. And so you have to be aware of all those things when you're weighing your options um, and looking at if you do have a multiple offer situation, when you're looking at those offers. That's why I really point out to my clients is sometimes the most money is not always the best. Right. I had another question regarding offers because usually attached to that, and when you submit an offer, there's going to be an earnest deposit. Is that typically a flat fee? Is it a percentage of the uh, price? How does that work? Well, um, you know, typically it should be 1%, but I see $1,000 most commonly. Um, even on a two or $300,000 property, I, I commonly see a $1,000 earnest deposit. The more you make your earnest deposit, the stronger your case. You know, if you're showing, if you're saying, hey, I'm going to write a $5,000 earnest deposit on this $250,000 house, um, you know, I've seen north of $10,000 earnest deposit. It just, it shows, it's the buyer showing the seller, look, I'm really serious about this. I don't plan on backing out of this deal unless it's for one of my contingencies that I wrote in the offer. Gives them more credibility. Yeah, it gives them more credibility. It shows that they're, you know, they're committed to the deal and committed to making sure that it goes through. How much attention do you pay to type of financing that's coming through in an offer? It's super important. This goes back to the money thing, again, is if you have a multiple offer situation, and I use this multiple offer situation because it's easy to to explain, you know, why one might be better than the other. And it's, it's an easy way of, you know, every deal is different, but if you have multiple offers on the same property, you can really see the benefit of one towards the other. Um, so when a buyer's writing an offer, we have to know what type of financing they're using. And if they're getting a loan, what type of loan is it? Is it a VA loan, an FHA loan, a conventional loan, or are they using cash? And the other thing with cash that I, I think is important to point out is if I'm ever dealing with anybody in cash, either on the buying side or the selling side, you have to have a proof of funds. So you can't just say, hey, I'm writing a cash offer, because it's easy to say that, but you need to have that proof of funds to back you up to show, you know, if you are the buyer, to show the seller, I do have the ability to provide this money. And to the seller, I wouldn't want to commit to anything unless I know I have proof that that person can can do that. Um, So back to the financing side is there's different things that are involved with different types of financing. And, you know, the most common would be with the VA and FHA financing, 
it's less money down, so higher loan to value. Um, and then with that appraisal that is going to happen with any type of financing, uh, there's some more inspecting done with those types of loans uh, that can throw up a red flag and possibly halt the deal at some point. And generally these appraisals don't happen till further down the road. And so you don't find out till, you know, maybe a week or two weeks before you close. Which type of financing or loan is the more preferred way, makes things move along more quickly? So that's like the most common type of loan. It's a conventional loan. Okay. There's people that can do, there's different uh, lenders that can do less than 20%, but generally it's your 20% down conventional loan. And when they do the appraisal, all they're, all they're doing is making sure that the property meets value. They're not going to go in, dig any deeper into safety issues or anything like that. So it sounds then that if you have, say, an FHA or a VA loan coming through and they may have written in the offer that no inspection, sounds like there may still be some type of inspection coming. That's very true. So what they're saying is, and, and it's very clear in a purchase agreement that, you know, where you write in that you're having a whole home inspection. And that is different than having the inspection that's done with a VA or FHA appraisal. Uh, a whole home inspection would be that buyer hiring a third party to come in and inspect the house or inspect. And you can break it down into maybe you're just looking at the uh, heating and cooling system. Maybe you just want somebody to inspect the roof. That is a third party that you've hired to do that. And generally that's going to happen within the first week to 10 days that you are under contract on that property where the appraisal doesn't happen and it's being done through the lender at that point might not happen until further down the road. And that has nothing to do with your whole home inspection if you choose to do so. When I sold my home earlier this year, the offer that came in that, that we accepted had did not have a home inspection attached to it. And... I forget when it was, maybe 10 days later, there was a knock on my door that I didn't know was coming and it was a termite inspection. Would that have been required by the lender or where did that come from? Yeah. So if you're getting financing, you're going to have a termite inspection. And like I said, again, it's very clear in a purchase agreement that, that they're separated. You know, your termite inspection is not part of, it can be part of your whole home inspection. It can be the same uh, third party that does it. But generally, you know, you can have a, you're going to have a termite inspection without a whole home inspection, or you might have both, but generally they happen at separate times. That was, uh, for some reason, I just got nervous when they came in. <laughs> well, the main thing was, do I have termites? I had no clue, and I didn't. Yeah. But, but still, it was, all of that stuff can be just a little bit unsettling. You talked several times about contingencies, and we've kind of focused on inspections, but what other kind of contingencies typically go into a home offer? Well, um, a big one is, do you have to sell, if you own your home, if you own a home now, do you have to sell that home in order to buy another one? So that is a very common contingency um, where you might be at different stages where you might not even have your current house listed. So then it, the sale, the purchase would be subject to the sale and closing of that property. Or you might have already had your property listed. It's already under contract with a separate buyer. And at that point, it would be contingent on the closing of that property. And when I say closing, that just means you're getting the money from your sale in order to turn around and buy your next property. So there's two different contingencies there. Um, and then there could be a contingency as far as maybe it's some seller paid costs. You know, maybe the buyer says, hey, I'm willing to purchase it at this price. 
but I need $5,000 in closing costs. And so the seller has to agree to pay that $5,000 in closing costs at the time that you submit your offer. Do closing costs include everything involved with closing, such as all of the commissions, or is it just the fees that are attached to the different entities that have to get involved in a house sale? So generally, those closing costs can go towards almost anything. We, we make them that way so that it's basically just a credit at that point. Um, where we say they go towards prepaids, you know, anything that's involved with the sale. That way that that buyer can just be credited that money at closing, and it's that much less that they have to bring to closing. Now, Peggy, when you uh, were uh, selling a home, there was a contingency that came in that you weren't really all that crazy about, right? Right. I was not happy at all. They wanted my washer and dryer, and I had scrimped and saved and everything to get this washer and dryer, and I was so proud of it. And they said they would not buy my house if I did not give it to them. And I'm like, it's a washer and dryer. It's sentimental to me, but means nothing to you. And I almost lost the deal because of the washer and dryer. I mean, I've said this. I tell all my clients, you know, the personal property, because what happens a lot is a buyer might get a house under contract, and then right away they want to know like, hey, are, are the, do you think that they leave the bar stools for us? Or, hey, do you think, you know, <laughs> something small? And I always tell them, hey, let's get through the big parts of this transaction. If we get closer to closing, we think everything's looking good, we can bring up the bar stools at that point. <laughs> but, you know, when you write an offer in the purchase agreement, it'll have a space where you write in any personal property to be included. And it's generally, you know, the main things like, the oven, refrigerator, microwave, dishwasher, washer and dryer, yeah. those types of things. Window coverings are Window big treatments one. were huge too. Yeah. yeah. They didn't care what they had as long as there was something over it. So yeah. I made sure I flipped all those. And then more recently, doorbells, if you have a video doorbell, oh. security cameras, TV mounts. Wow. Uh, so you have that. to really, it happened, I think probably more often than not in the last year or two because- I can tell you, I wrote a lot of offers that didn't get accepted. And I think any real estate agent can tell you that in the last couple of years because it was so competitive. So you start writing these offers and you're writing them, you know, day after day on different properties. You have to slow down. You have to make sure you included, you know, whatever was on that seller's disclosure that's to be included the property. And then talk to your client and say, hey, what do you want to be included? You know, maybe the washer and dryer weren't included, but you really, if in order to buy this property at this price, you can't go out and buy a washer and dryer. So I need the washer and dryer to be included. So slowing down and making sure that everyone's aware of what you want included or don't want included. Right, right. And then that's kind of the, you know, another part of writing the offer is towards the end, you write in there, you know, hey, I need a 24 hour or 48 hour window the day before closing or two days before closing for me to do a final walkthrough of the property. And that's a great time to do that walkthrough and make sure that everything that you wanted to be included or agreed upon is included at that time. Because if it's not, that's when you need to bring it up, not after closing. You got to bring it up before closing. I'm thinking of a different situation where it was actually kind of a reverse deal that home I was buying Back in 2011, the current homeowner wanted to leave the hot tub and just offered it up. Hey, we'll just throw this in. No, we don't want it. Get it out of here. Yeah. So, so it was it was kind of a reverse type it's, of deal. We weren't asking for something. We were saying we want something less. It's not always that. Yeah, it's sometimes backwards. A lot of times I'll see 
homeowners that maybe have something that they think is worth something, like some extra shingles or, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And then the buyer's like, I don't, I don't want that. You know, I don't want to have to clean it up, basically. Right. Or a lot of times I see a lot of paint left. And the seller thinks that they're maybe doing somebody a favor. In reality, they're like, I don't want to have to go get rid of this paint. But, you know, you go down in the storage room and there's 25 gallons of paint down there. Well, you know, those things should be cleaned up. If if the buyer had never made any statements upon wanting those things. Because more than likely they're going to change the color anyway. Yep. And it, most of the time, the paint's not any good. Oh, true. You know, it's <laughs> yep. sitting in their garage. It, it was froze three or four times. It's, you know, that type of thing. Well, I can give you a tip as a former painting contractor. If latex paint freezes, it's done. <laughs> Don't keep it in your garage unless you have a heated garage. That's, uh, it, it, plus, after several years, uh, not only does uh, paint start to separate to the point that it's never really going to go back together again and turn this into a trade show. But (laughs) uh, also, at some point, the paint company where it came from may have changed its formula altogether. So even if you go back and get that tint matched, it won't match because the base is now different than it used to be. So there's really no reason to keep paint for a long time. There's recycling centers. Get rid of it. Good to know. I got a bunch in my garage that I need to get rid of then. <laughs> oh, there, yeah, that's that's part of it. Yep, there's uh, places to get rid of that. But anyway, uh, anything else that goes into an offer, Blake, uh, typically, or we've have, do you think we've pretty much nailed everything here? Well, I think we've covered the basics. Um, I'm just what I have in front of me here is a purchase agreement, and so I'm just looking through kind of all the key points of a purchase agreement. And I guess another thing to point out would be if you are asking the seller to purchase a home warranty for the house. Sometimes a buyer might say, this is the terms of our deal and we would like to have you buy, you know, this certain home warranty for us, maybe at a six or $700 value. Or the buyer can always do that on their own, but maybe they're asking the seller to do that. You know, maybe they had a home inspection and through the home inspection, they found out that the furnace and air conditioner are 25 years old and they say, hey, we want you to provide a home warranty for us, and then if you can do that for us, we'll move forward with with those things. And I guess that's another important thing to bring up with the home inspection. What I'd like to have is have a home inspector come on at some point and kind of go more into depth on what a a whole home inspection looks like. Home inspections and the way that they're written in offers can be very different. You know, you can have a home inspection that's for your information only, which basically means I'm going to have a home inspection. I'm leaving it as a contingency, so I have the ability to walk away from this deal if I see something I don't like. But it's ultimately for my information, and I'm not going to ask you to fix anything. So I'm just having it for information, and I I have the ability to walk away, but I'm not going to ask you to make any repairs. Is there a list of things that would qualify that they would be able to walk away from that was found in the home inspection, or can it be anything? In that scenario, it can be anything. It's a contingency. So So, a stain on the carpet. Potentially. Now, there's a lot of things that go into that um, as far as kind of being logical. Um, And that's why you need to have a good real estate agent too. If it's something that you could clearly see before you had the home inspection, to me, that's not something you should call out in a home inspection. It should be something that you're not aware of when you walk through the property. You know, it's something like maybe something you couldn't see unless you crawled on the roof or you crawled in the attic. 
or you don't know anything about furnace and air conditioners and they pointed out that they were older than you thought, something like that. Like something like maybe under the sink because some people, they shove so much stuff under there and you can't see and then you find a big leak on the back of the drywall and everything else and you're like, hey, wait a minute, what is this? Exactly that. Or, you know, most home inspectors through a home inspection, they're going to run every sink, uh, test every drain, flush every toilet. Mm -hmm. And it could be something like that where when you go to a showing, you're not doing those things. Right. You don't want to go through people's stuff. Exactly. Exactly. So another way to kind of write that, and and the reason that those information-only home inspections occur is because buyers want to make their offer stronger. And so that way they're getting a home inspection, but they're telling the seller, hey, I'm not going to ask you for, you know, a $2,000 credit or anything like that. It is, it's either I'm in or I'm out. And generally, if people feel comfortable enough to do that, they don't foresee any big issues coming. Um, It's more of a peace of mind thing. But what I've done for some of my clients is, um, and I'll read you, this is an actual purchase agreement that that I've written, is that the home inspection is for buyer information only. Buyer will not exercise the right of the home inspection contingency unless remedies to inspection items are estimated at $5,000 or more. So what that's saying is we're in this deal. We're not using the home inspection as a contingency unless something's found that's going to cost us more than $5,000 to repair. To me, that's a great way to write it because you are showing that seller of that property, I'm having a home inspection because I, I want to know if there's any any faults with the property that I need to fix once I buy it. And it's also giving me peace of mind that I'm going to have a home inspector crawl on the roof and make sure that the major components of the house are in good condition. Like a little insurance policy Basically, for both of you. Yep, yep, exactly. Well, Blake, this is some great information, and I think that it can help a lot of people as they're coming together to write that offer, and as demand has, or or the the pool of buyers has decreased, and you're not getting as many offers now, a lot of these things, such as the contingencies, are starting to come back into play. When my house was sold, there was no inspection, and uh, we had a few different offers, ended up being able to take a conventional yep. loan over an FHA loan. And it was just, as you said, it was because we knew that something was coming later that may throw a wrench in the entire thing, but with conventional, it wasn't going to happen. So that's why we accepted that offer. But as we mentioned, with fewer offers now coming in on houses, and that it, that's the way yep. things are now, yep. that a lot of these things start to come into play, and it's it's becoming more important now to be on top of everything that you're talking about. It really is. And and I think a lot of people don't realize how much goes into writing an offer and how many, how much, how many moving parts there are. It's more than just, hey, this is how much money I'm willing to pay for this house. That's it. This is probably one of my favorite things to do is it's kind of, um, there's some strategy involved and it helps to really understand your buyer and like I mentioned before, it helps to have a good relationship with the real estate agent on the other end of the deal because maybe, like I said earlier, maybe money isn't the most important thing. Um, you know, Maybe they need a, as quick a closing as possible and they don't want to have to mess with any repairs on the property. They want to sell it as is. And so maybe talking to that other real estate agent in order to form the best purchase agreement that you can for your client. I'm real curious before we let you go. 
you have had folks come in on this podcast and they put in multiple offers. I'm thinking about, well, I'm thinking about Amber, who was on an earlier episode, and she'd put in a lot of offers that weren't accepted. I understand how that can be very disappointing for the home buyer. How disappointing is it for the real estate agent when you go through all of this work and write up an offer and then it gets turned down? It's, uh, it can be challenging. Like I said, the last couple of years, especially in the Omaha market, um, it seemed to be more, even more competitive. And, and with the, some of the buyers that I was working with over there, when things were really, really heavy seller's market, they were also in probably the most competitive price range, you know, about that 250 mark. And so I got some, a lot of practice writing offers. I can whip one up pretty quick now, which is great, but it's tough as a real estate agent because you, you know, not only did you take the time to go show that property, spend time with your client, you know, the thing about it is I might show a property at six o'clock at night in Omaha, drive back home, get home. And then at that point I sit down, write that offer up after talking. If I don't, you know, if I'm going to send this electronically to a client, I'm going to sit down. We talked about all the terms of their offer. I might be talking to them on the phone, spend time writing that offer, get all the signatures needed, submit that offer to the listing agent, and then wait. And it might not be, it might be a day, it might be two days. And then, you know, the whole time you have that client kind of sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to hear. And what's, what, what's tough about it is, you know, yeah, you have the time involved. That's kind of part, that's part of the business. But what's tough is when you got to call that person and they put everything they had into writing a good offer and then they don't, and they really love the house and they could see themselves in it. And then you say, no, you know, didn't get it, but we'll keep looking. That's all you can do. And so that's the hardest part. And then as those people, you know, generally it's the same people that are in a really competitive price point. And through the last couple of years that I've worked with that lost out on multiple houses. And so, you know, you get to that third, fourth one, it starts getting kind of tough and there's only so much you can do. You know, there's only so much I can do as a real estate agent. Um, I can give them the best advice and the most strategy in writing the offer, but they also have to write that offer within their means. And what was crazy the last couple of years is people just kept coming with more money, better terms, and it was just incredible. And so sometimes you felt like you couldn't win <laughs> and you just had to stay confident and it'll work out at some point. And have a great real estate agent like you that just keeps pushing ahead and keeping them positive and letting them know that you're fighting and have their best interest at heart. Yep, exactly right. I mean, some people, I mean, I've had people that, that gave up, you know, yeah. they, they tried and tried and tried and they needed to be, they needed to figure out if they were going to rent another year or if they were going to try to purchase in a certain time frame, and it just timing didn't work out and they had to rent for another year and come back the next year, a little bit different market. Maybe they're more prepared. They had more money saved. They moved to a little bit different price range and then ultimately things work out. He is Blake Hunter with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Ambassador Real Estate Offices in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Blake licensed for both Iowa and Nebraska. We thank you very much for your time. Great information today. And uh, I think it's going to be very beneficial to a lot of folks. And uh, let's get your phone ringing even more, huh? Sounds like a great plan. Peggy Sweet also joining us today. Thank you, Peggy, for uh, some great information. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry you lost your washer and dryer. Oh, yeah. I cried for weeks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
And we thank you for listening to this episode of Hunting Home. And we encourage you to listen every week for new episodes. So until then, take care.